Well, good morning. If you got your Bibles with me, open it up to 1 Corinthians. Your, your Bible ought about learn how to just open up by itself right about, about now as we work our way. And it's important to remind you this morning, very important. I didn't pick the text today, just studying through it. We're talking about sex today. My children are in the room, okay? We're looking at the first 16 verses. This whole chapter speaks both to those that are married and unmarried, those that are widowed or single or whatever situation. We're going to look at it over the next few weeks. Just let me remind you, especially as parents and grandparents, lead your children to sexuality and holiness because someone else is already leading them to it in unholiness. So let's stand with us and let's see Paul as he writes this letter. Just remind yourself, we'll talk about this again. The church has questions. They've got problems. We've been looking at that, hadn't we? They've got problems. They've also got questions. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man to his wife, her own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish all that were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy." But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother and sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We all have a tendency to avoid that which makes us uncomfortable. And we avoid the very thing the world talks about freely. 
Lead us to this in holiness, God. Help us to understand. Correct us. Keep us in tension, Lord. Keep us from extremes today. Protect me. Guide me with your word. Guide your people. Open their ears so they could hear. Because of this marriage, because of this word today, may marriage be held in high esteem, but even greater, God. May our relationship with you be held higher. In Jesus' name. Man, you could be seated. So this is easy to find on the internet. Just Google it. You'll find it. It'll pop right up. A couple got married in Kuwait. It was the fastest marriage in history. It lasted three minutes. They went in. They said their I do's or whatever they do in that culture. They were coming out of the courthouse and the newly married wife trips and falls. And the Newly married husband calls her stupid. So she gets on her feet. She turns around. She goes in and divorces him. Three minutes. Here's the question with that. What was their expectation 24 hours before that? Right? What was their ideas that they were bringing that marriage was going to be? What, what was their expectations? What was their hopes Something was amiss, wasn't it? And we laugh at that and say that would never happen to us. But if we're all honest, whether we're married or headed towards marriage or have already been there and done that, we all have brought false ideas and especially unrealistic expectations when it comes to marriage. Talk about this in growth group, hopefully, too. What are they? What are some of them? How, what, have, what have you learned? What probably must you learn? I'm just going to mention a couple. Probably the number one, and I think important for this discussion today, is this false idea that he will become a believer after we're married. That's tragic. Many people can bear witness to the, the reality that that, by and large, does not work. People normally get worse, not better. The clarity this morning, God's Word, 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Many of us struggle this morning with the truth of what the Scripture is saying because we were unequally yoked. That's a false idea. Here's a good one. I work to come home to a cooked meal, a clean house, and quiet, well-mannered children. Nobody had that one, did you? How did that work out for you? My spouse exists to serve me, obey me, and submit to me. The Bible says so. Oh, here's a good one. I can fix my spouse. I'll fix them. I've got a list. I've already made some progress when we're dating. I, I, I'll fix them. Oh, this is a good one. I've seen this with not only marriage but with children. If I get married or if I get a boyfriend, even let's back up before marriage, this will fix my problems. 
This will make it better. I can have kids and my problems will get... Oh, my spouse, we'll love each other more if we have kids. False ideas, false expectations. The church here, the church there, we've all had them. And the church in Corinth had them too. Life in community, that's really what we're talking about. It's messy and it's tricky. Marriage, divorce, singleness, widowhood... Same questions we have, the same questions they have. This is the context of the passage. They got questions. Here's the reality too. We are impacted by the culture at every level and at every sphere of your life. Here's how they were being affected. We spoke about this last week. Dualism. This was Greek thought that permeated the culture. It was the normal And I'm oversimplifying this. The body is relatively unimportant in Greek thought. The soul is incredibly important. This led to other heresies the church would have to fight. But what it led to immediately was two extremes. You remember? Rampant immorality because the body itself doesn't really matter. And hyper-spirituality. What's going on. That's what's creating some of the problems, some of the questions. This led to false ideas and extremes. We're fighting that this morning. When you hear the word this morning, you're fighting extremes in your own mind. What about marriage? and What about singleness? Remember, some in the church were visiting prostitutes. Accepting incest. We've already spoke about that. And here's now what we have. We have a group of people in the church... Married people, where the men were saying, I'm going to be abstinent from relations with my wife because it makes me more spiritual. These extremes were going on within the church. They had questions, is that right? Paul believes Genesis 2. We're not going to go there this morning. Verse 18, verse 24. You've got to grab this. This is context. We talk about it all the time. It's the reason our growth group curriculum is written the way it is. We want you to be constantly reminded about the context. Paul is answering questions. This is not to me to be an exhaustive message or letter about marriage or singleness. He's answering questions. Sexual immorality was eating their lunch. And on the other extreme, they had people who were misusing and abusing their own sexuality and calling it spirituality. Not unlike that of the day. Important to remember, I know it's been a long time since we did the introduction to 1 Corinthians. The purpose of this letter, and this is important, is that the local church should be characterized by three things. Unity, purity, and love. You remember? That's what the church is supposed to be displaying to the world. This is why marriage is critical. Now listen to this. Marriage has a unique God-designed purpose and power to example unity, purity, and love. And in so doing, is unique in its ability to bring God glory. Therefore, said all that, a little bit longer than normal. Paul's about to lean into their sexual lives. And listen. If the Christian worldview does not work in marriage, it works nowhere. 
Marriage involves a lifelong commitment for the sake of sexual purity and our gospel witness. Those are our two points. Marriage involves, it is a lifelong commitment for the sake of sexual purity. Paul does not think, and I know sometimes I like it, I'm this, I'm this way. Let's look at verse 1, let's look at verse 2, let's look at verse 3, 4, 5, let's go. It's not what he's doing here. Think of Paul talks oftentimes is, is either circular or even better. He's spiraling. As he, so he brings up something, he comes back to it, brings it up, comes back to it, brings it up, comes back to it. So we can't follow this straight through today, but look, let's look at verse 1. There's a couple principles I want you to see this morning that's critical to understand not only the whole chapter, but the whole book. The guiding principle that is true both in marriage and singleness is sexual purity. Verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, notice the quotation marks. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is either, we talked about this last week, either a 1 Corinthians slogan that they're trying to understand how to live by, or it's something that Paul has said that they don't understand. So they had a question about it. That quotation mark is, is why he goes where he goes with the conversation. Verse 2. But because... Of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Some people think because Paul was at this point in his life single, that this slogan or something that he said, they put it together, they're confused, there's extremes going on in their marriage, they're trying to figure it out. There's two principles or two categories that we have to understand when it comes to the Bible, when the Bible speaks of marriage and singleness. It speaks of celibacy and monogamy. Those are the categories. There's no categories for what's going on in Greco-Roman culture. The Christian worldview and the Christian life stands in polar opposite. And so he's given them these two categories the principle of sexual purity, whether you are single or whether you are married. Here's the but in verse 2. But singleness is the exception and not the rule. Why? Because we are sexual beings. We're sexual beings and therefore we are tempted to misuse and abuse our own sexuality or others. Now jump down to verses 6 to 9. He first makes the case that we need to have pursue sexual purity in our singleness. This is a future message in two weeks. I just want you to see this in the text. Verse 6, now it's a concession and not a command. I say this, I wish that all were as I myself, but each one has his own gift, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. Verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should what? Marry. Here's, here's the clear principle. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Why? Because the principle that we live by is sexual purity. Because the church is characterized by holiness. Why is the church characterized by holiness? Because God is holy. You see that? This is the way it unfolds. This is Christianity. Singleness here got to get this. I wish we had more time to develop the, go back and listen to our first sermon. Develop the 
context. Singleness here, according to Paul, is a gift from God and elevated in Paul's. Not true in culture. Not true now, really. Not the same over there. Men were expected, especially in the Jewish community, to get married, and women had no choice. We'll talk more about that next week, but this don't don't miss this. This will come back up. This text here, Paul is giving Christian women the freedom to stay single, and they did not have that ability in that culture. He's turning the world upside down. That's what that's what Christian. That's what the accusation was. Christianity. So here's the question: When you look at verse two. Look at verse 2. Here's the question. Will marriage then, is he saying that if I get married, I won't struggle with lust anymore? Like John Piper had a little ask questions, and he asked that question. I thought what he said was helpful, simple. No, but it helps. Here's Here's his example. If you don't get enough sleep, you're going to struggle that day to be patient. But if you get a good night's rest... It'll help you be patient. The truth is, we're going to always struggle with what? Impatience. We're going to always struggle with lust. That's true. He's not saying that marriage is a cure-all. He's saying the principle is sexual purity. And if you, it is better to get married than to dishonor the Lord in your singleness. Sexual purity in marriage. Verse 2. You see this? Monogamy. Have your own wife. Have your own husband. This is mutual and this is equal. This did not exist. This mindset. He's creating a category in culture that doesn't exist. Women were property. They were given to their wives. Their husbands. And very little thought was given to them after that. Sexual purity in our marriage. He's already told us. Remember before? Flee immorality. Here's one of the ways. We flee from something and we flee to something. He says almost everyone, since you are sexual beings, needs to run towards marriage. The second principle. Therefore, for the sake of sexual purity, marry And stay married. This is his other principle. Sexual purity. And when we marry, we marry for a lifelong. This reflects the principle of unity. The church should be unified because God is one. Marriage, therefore, is a lifelong commitment. Listen, a lifelong mutual commitment. Now, it's important to understand something because we impose our culture oftentimes on the text. The word here that you see, look at verse 10, is separate. You see that? And then the word in verse 11 at the end is divorce. So we would naturally be inclined to say, well, that's just like now that if someone has trouble, they separate. And then maybe later they get divorced. The Bible doesn't have a context for this. This is two words saying the same thing. To separate is to divorce. This is what the text means. Notice something else he says. Notice, you see in verse 10 and in verse 12, 
where he says, not I, but the Lord. And then verse 12, he, he flips it. Here's what he's not doing. <laughs> he's not saying, well, what Jesus says is authoritative and inspired, and what I said is just my opinion. He's differentiating in his teaching between what the Lord has taught directly and what he is now teaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But what he's doing here in verse 10 is quoting, he's teaching, so to speak, what the Gospels teach, what Jesus taught about divorce. Remember Matthew 19, 3 to 9? They ask him the question about divorce. Can, is it okay to be lawful, verse 3, to divorce a, a wife, one's wife for any cause? That was, they were asking that question because it was divorce was running rampant. Woman could burn toast and get divorced. So he goes back to creation. That's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed that. Verse 7. Why then does Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. This is what he's quoting to help them understand the principle, divorce is a reality in their culture, it's a reality in our culture. But the guiding principle, remember he's not being, the whole purpose is not to spend the rest of our time speaking about marriage and divorce and when is it okay and when it's not. It's to understand the principle. The principle is purity and the principle is marry and stay married. It's the principle that we live by. Remember what 1 Corinthians 6 said, we glorify God in our bodies, with our bodies. And so he's teaching us as married or single individuals, there is a way in which we do it. We do it with our purity in the way we do it with the way we treat marriage. So now, having understood the principles, now he's going to unpack some realities of a healthy marriage. First reality, now look at verse 3 and 4. This is some of the core teaching is in verse 3 and 4. Marriage involves, it is about meeting mutual sexual needs. Not making this up. This is the purpose of the verse 3 and 4. Let's read it again. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Here's what this is teaching. Because it wasn't even on the men's radar in that culture. Both the woman and the man are made as sexual beings. They have sexual needs and they are going to struggle with that. So marry and enjoy meeting each other's needs. That's what he's saying. There's the questions that was coming up in the culture. And Paul speaks very clearly to this. They're teaching a male-dominated society that it's not about you, big boy. That's what he's teaching us. This is mutual. We are created this way. Secondly, marriage is about mutual belonging as we give ourselves to each other. There's two elements to that. Do you see it? Marriage is about mutual belonging. And it is about mutual self-giving. 
1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4 again teaches this very clearly. That we belong to each other. But hold on a second. Remember, this is a letter. Look back up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Let's not forget, we first belong to the Lord. This will guard you, if you understand it, against low lives who will abuse you, neglect you, and leave you. We belong to the Lord. He's already made that point. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, we belong to Him. And when you abuse me, you abuse Him. When you leave me, you leave Him. When you desert me, you desert Him. So let's be careful this morning, lest someone hears me and thinks this text is an excuse to abuse people. To dominate people. He is saying just the opposite. He's saying marriage is a mutual commitment. This text has been used by abusive, unfaithful spouses. Do not allow the unfaithful, abusive deserter to misuse this text. And an unfaithful, abusive deserter is a covenant breaker. We belong to the Lord. That's first. We belong to each other. That's second. That's what he's teaching. You see... Monogamy, faithfulness in marriage is a gospel issue. The cultural reality in the Greco-Roman society was not about a mutual relationship. It was about the embattering of yourself in a socio-economic, political, economic environment. To get married brings things that wasn't true about you before to bear. That's what marriage for them had become about. He's saying, you've got it wrong. You see, this is not about sex. Really, this is about false ideas of marriage, false ideas of manhood, and false ideas of womanhood. Of which our sexual relations is just an evident reality to. The issue here that was really bugging them was about this issue of men choosing to be celibate while they were married and calling it spirituality. Here's what he's, they're saying to these men that are doing this. You don't have the right to do this. That's not your body. Grab that. Imagine being a Roman culture. Go home and study it for a little bit. What the Greco-Roman society believed. Paul saying, sorry brothers, not, your, not yours. That's not spiritual, that's sin. <laughs> Paul's teaching married couples have a duty not to refrain from sexual relations without just cause. And I don't have time to go, what, what is just cause? Put on, put, on the, put on some unselfishness and you know exactly when those ha- comes up. The Bible is teaching us today that sexual relations with our spouses is a duty and a privilege. It is a right and a blessing. I dare you as a married couple to read Song of Solomon. We're going to read a couple right here. Got the rated G version. I'm going to read from Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16. My beloved is mine and I am his. That's what we're, that's what we're teaching this morning. Chapter 7, verse 10 of Song of Solomon says this. I am my beloved's. I am my beloved's. And his desire is for me. You see that? It's what he's teaching. 
Sex is not a bartering tool, nor is it to be withheld to punish or control. That is abuse and that is sinful. You are not your own. You are Christ and you belong to your married spouse. They belong to you. This is mutual. It's not one-sided. You've got to grab this this morning. He's teaching us something better than just about our sex life and marriage this morning. This is pointing to something greater. To Christ and His church. If Song of Solomon is really about Jesus and His bride, and it is, what does it mean if we don't understand what this means in our marriage today? How does how we treat each other diminish the glory of Christ and His church? And then how much more does it glorify Him when we have mutual desire for each other, mutual giving, mutual satisfaction? Marriage is about mutual belonging. It's also about self-giving. Turn with me again. Psalms, Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Proverbs 5, quoted this last week. Proverbs, right here in this section, Solomon is teaching his sons about marriage and purity. Telling them what you shouldn't pursue, what you should pursue. What you, what you think you can enjoy will destroy you. And here's what you must enjoy with all of your heart, soul, and strength. I'm not going to explain all the imagery here. If you've got a mind, you can understand this imagery. Just think it's the Solomon talking to his sons about their purity. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not to strangers with you. Listen. Pause button. Look up here at me. This is the God-breathed Word of God. Do never call unholy what God calls holy. Read the text. Let your fountains be blessed. Verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Solomon is teaching his sons and he would have done well if he would have listened to his own advice that he should be intoxicated by his wife and she should be intoxicated by him. To be selfish sexually is simply an indicator of selfishness elsewhere. I'm sure this is a quote by someone smarter than me. Intimacy does not begin in the bedroom it begins in the kitchen. You ever heard that? I don't know who, who said it, but they were right. It's just an image, isn't it? In other words, you need to look elsewhere oftentimes to see how selfish we really are. I mean, dads, when's the last time you've given your wife some off time? Wives and mothers need breaks. And, and wives, you need to let your husband give a break they're his kids let him man up and watch them so you can have a break that has everything to do with being unselfish in marriage listen this is an important principle whether you're married or not sexual intimacy is not about you it's about your spouse 
And when it is, it is a picture of selflessly giving yourself to your spouse and to them alone. And if you don't get monogamy this morning, see, if you miss the principle, you will misuse this, and it will destroy you. It will eat your lunch, because in God's design, it is blessed. He says this is a beautiful picture. He says all of that to get to verse 5. Therefore, verse 5, do not deprive one another. I love this language. It's very clear. Except, perhaps, by agreement, for a limited time. Do you see that? This should be rare in marriage. Why did he say this? Because they were depriving each other. That's why he said it. What does the word deprive mean? It means to steal. Now, now read that. Do not steal from one another. Go back to the, the question at hand. Culturally, men were depriving sexual relations with their wife and calling it spirituality. And he looked at those men and said, you're a thief. What he's teaching them today. You're a thief. Celibacy and marriage should be mutually agreed and temporary for the sake of purity. This was unheard of. You need to listen to me this morning because here's what he's saying. According to the Bible, women have equal needs and equal standing in marriage that must be honored. If not, it's sin. This does not undermine headship. This is the foundation of it. If we do not understand this and get our hands around this, we will have a hard time understanding the triune God. One with, equal to, but with headship. So, three truths. Honoring God means guarding one's sexuality, whether you're single or married. We marry for life. And marriage looks like a mutual belonging and giving ourselves to each other. It's not just about that, though, is it? Marriage involves a lifelong commitment because there's a gospel witness to think about. A gospel witness. Now, verse 12 to 16, that's what he's dealing with. A specific issue. Verse 12. To the rest, I say... That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. This is a very good question and issue they were raising up. Basically, here's what they were asking. Paul, I am a child of God. I am a new creation. But now I have gotten saved. My spouse has not. Maybe he's still a Jew, or maybe he's a pagan and a polytheist. He's, so what am I supposed to do now? Am I just supposed to leave him? Because here's the thinking. I am unclean or unholy by association. This is the question. You see how the principles, remember the principles, purity, stay married. Marriage protects our gospel witness. By honoring our lifelong commitment and displaying Christ to an unbelieving spouse. Not talking about staying with an abusive spouse or a deserting spouse. He's going to deal with that in just a second. Here's the real question that comes up. It's in verse 14. 
For the unbelieving spouse is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of his husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. What in the world is he talking about? You see, saying your, your spouse is saved just simply because by virtue of marriage? No, they're unbelieving. Do you see that? Unbelieving before, the unbelieving after. So, what does he mean? First, understand this. Our union in Christ is greater. It is ultimate. It's what he's, that practically bleeds out, you see. The lifestyle of a Christian partner but cannot help but affect the ethos, the culture, the everyday life within that home. Its values and its lifestyles bleed into that home. It affects not only the unbelieving spouse, it affects the children. That's what he's saying. They are in that sense. In the sense that as a Christian, we are going to bring our Christianity to bear inside that home, whether our spouse is believing or not. We cannot help from it. And here's the point. Here's the truth. It cannot help but affect it. We apply the principles in order for our sake of our gospel witness. That's what he's teaching. Peter agreed... 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This is not a made-up illustration. This is a real one from just life and ministry. A church member was married to a hard-working and hard-living man. 30 to 40 years she stayed with this man as he worked hard, but lived hard. She didn't know it. He didn't, the pastor didn't know it. But this man eventually, because of the witness of his wife, began listening to her preacher online. And to the pastor's shock one day, they came walking up to him hand in hand. He didn't even hardly know what to say. (laughs) So he said, What are you doing here? He said, you don't know it, but I've been listening online and the Lord has saved me. That's that's real. That's what he's teaching here in this text. We display our gospel witness through practicing the principles. Listen, even when they're miserably hard. Verses 15 to 16. You can display your gospel witness by living in peace. Here's what we don't know. We don't know if our unbelieving spouse is going to turn tail and leave us or not. And that's just what was happening. Some were. Some were deserting their spouses. And what do I do now, Paul? You give me this principle. What do you do now when the unbelieving leaves? Paul teaches us here, you let them leave. God has called you to peace. You're unbelieving and they've left you. They broke covenant with you. They leave. God has called you to peace. There's two implications or applications for this. God has called you to peace. One is if they desert you, let them leave. The other is pray for peace. Pray for peace in your marriage. It is God's will for our marriages to exist in harmony with God and each other. Long for it. Pray for it. So what today? 
Is my marriage a fitting symbol of the union between Christ and his people? You would think that this was obvious in the Christian life, but it's not. I don't know. The guy probably didn't know I was a pastor. Maybe he did. I posted a quote. I'm going to use the quote in just a minute. Last night, I thought it was a good quote. Well, God didn't think it was a good quote. It's like, bless his heart. He just became a sermon illustration. <laughs> you see, if you don't understand this morning that your marriage is not ultimate, Christ is. You'll never put your marriage, you'll never hold your marriage up to where God's called you to be. And if you've had a bad experience, you are naturally inclined to be cynical against marriage. And God has designed it. And he has given us today some principles to apply in it. Hebrews is clear. Marriage is to be held in high esteem by all people, whether you are married or not. Why? Because it is a symbol. It is a picture of Christ and his people. That's why Micah was reading Ephesians 5 today. If you've got that, open it up. Let's, let's end there. This is a central text to understand marriage because it points to something greater than simply your marriage. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. That as to the Lord is really important. For the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. The Savior Verse 25, husbands love your wife like whom Christ loved his church. Do you see that? This is mutual. Because this is a picture of Christ loving his church. It's Christ longing for his church to be holy. This is about Christ self-giving to his church. Do you see that? Why your sexuality and your relationship, whether you were single or not, should reflect your devotion to Jesus Christ and to Him alone. It is precious. He gave it to you. And we use it as He sees fit. Whatever is ultimate in your life, there is your God. We commit ourselves to each other, not because marriage is ultimate, but because Christ is ultimate. Listen to Charles Hodge here. I can't say it better. Quote, In Ephesians 5, 22-33, Paul presents marriage as the most, listen, the most ennobling spiritual union that raises a man out of himself and makes him live for someone else. A union so elevated and refining as to make it fitting symbol of the bond between Christ and His people, by which they are exalted to the full perfection of their being. That's the purpose of your marriage. Did you see that this morning? Your marriage teaches you how to live for someone else other than you. Because the purpose of your life is to live for Him. And we will never love our wives until we love Christ chiefly. We will never love our husbands until we love our Jesus first. 
the quote that the guy online didn't like. God does not exist to make much of marriage. Marriage exists to show the world the glory of Christ and His church. And brothers and sisters, that does not diminish marriage, but centers our marriage on the very central thing, the very mission of God in this world. Close with this, just this picture. Me and Micah often send texts back and forth. He, it's a text we've always wanted to preach out of. It is from the book of Hosea. Do you remember the story? God tells a prophet to go marry a prostitute. And to give himself only to her. No matter what he does. He goes back and brings her back. Sets his affection on her. This is the picture. Of how Christ pursued you. And we did not deserve to be pursued. Christ pursued us. And he set his affection on us. That brothers and sisters is the purpose of marriage. So thus saith the Lord. God through the prophets spoke of a day when the Lord would become one with His bride. Hosea 2.19 And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth to you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Brothers and sisters, your marriage shows us that. We get to know the Lord and enjoy Him forever. Let us display that in our marriages and our relationships today. Let's pray. Lord, now help us, God. Protect us, Holy Spirit. Lest we take your word in and misapply it. Thank you for our growth groups that meet later and through the week and to help us apply this correctly, God. Help us, Lord, now to make much of you in our marriages. Lord, some of us need to take a couple days off work. Maybe this message is timely, Lord. I don't know. I'll put that in your hands, God. And may the spouses in this room thank you today if you have given us a healthy marriage though it is imperfect. And may we all pray today that if we are in the room and that is not the truth oh God would you bring peace You are enough. If tomorrow everything changed and we were by ourselves, our Jesus is enough and we belong to you. May we call us to peace today. May you bring peace. May we labor for peace with all people but especially those we love the most. God, this is how we display the gospel. May we display it now as 
we sing and worship you, as we in a minute give selflessly, may this be worship, may it be joy. You be honored today, Lord, as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me.